We are looking today at another passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In fact, this is uh, an all-time favorite passage, but I, I know I say that about a lot of passages, but uh, it is so encouraging, so lifting, and I hope that you're uh, encouraged and blessed today with what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, even though the topic, we've been singing today about being alive in the river. We've been singing about being children of God with him making a home for us forever. And we've been focusing on life. And today's topic is a little different than that, but it's something we all face. Death. Death. Paul wanted the believers in Thessalonica to um, flourish even though death happens, even though death at this point is a part of our reality. The early Christians in Thessalonica were upset because Paul had taught about the second coming. He had told them that Jesus was going to come back. And now some of their brothers and sisters, some of their young ones, some of their old ones, they were dying partly because of persecution, but mostly because of natural causes. And they were fearful that now these brothers and sisters would miss out on Jesus' second coming. That they would totally, now that they're dead, miss it. So Paul writes to them to give them some perspective. An opportunity to flourish in the midst of... Because i got a prediction about you and about me. You've heard the phrase, death and taxes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And death, you are going to deal with death one way or another. Now, you might deal with it as it being your death. You might get off the planet today on the way home. Okay? That's dealing with it personally. And we all will have to do that. Unless we're here when the Lord comes back. But if you're still here in a day, a month, a year, 20 years... You're going to deal with it a lot in others' deaths. Death around you. Death that happens. In fact, this passage is so interesting because it doesn't just talk about death. It says, those who have fallen asleep. Isn't it interesting we use euphemisms to just even describe death? He fell asleep. Slept with his fathers. He um, passed away. Have you heard that one? He passed on. I mean, we use all kinds of phrases. Now, they teach us in uh, hospice dealings, you should just use the word, they died. And Jesus came to that with uh, Lazarus. He said, he's sleeping. And they said, well, wake him up. And he said, no, 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 he's dead. He's got to be raised from the dead. Okay? And death is an important Topic. In fact, how we deal with, how we see, how we process death makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. In fact, someone would call this uh, good grief. Not the Charlie Brown good grief. You know, listen to this. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Underline that. Who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that those, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's just pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of scripture that not only encouraged the believers long ago, but encouraged us today. Help us to see death like you see death and to anticipate Jesus' return like you desire us to. Help us to so anticipate the future and your blessings on us that we can't help but bring others into it and, and delight you because of it. Thank you for this today. We ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts, open our eyes and ears to hear from you in new ways. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think it was Google this last uh, month came up with a, a brilliant plan because they said, uh, what happens with your digital world when you die? So they came up with an inactive plan that every person can go on their Google account and say, if, you're, uh, if you somehow die and your account is inactive, here's what you want to happen to your digital information. Is that going a little bit too far? Uh, you know, but, but, but we all think about it. I mean, they're doing the natural thing that we all have to think about is what happens when you die? What happens with, in fact, today we're not just dealing with what happens when you die, but what happens when others around you die? In fact, as you think about those first phrases in that passage, I do not want you to be uninformed. You like Apostle Paul's double negative? I do not want you to be uninformed. So what's he want you to be? Informed. Now he got a three-week, four-week chance to preach at him, to preach to him to share with them, to grow them. And he's had some chances uh, above and beyond that, but he's, he's concerned because they're worried about something they don't need to be worried about. So he's like, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to pick up on this. Now he's already said a couple of times, I don't need to even teach you about that. I've already taught you about that. But here, this seems to be some new information. In fact, there's another double negative about those who fall asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. <laughs> Not grieve like those who have no hope. So what do we want to grieve like? Those who have hope. What? Are you sure? Because there's a lot of stoicism in Christianity. There's a lot of people who say, wipe those tears off your eye. There's no need to be sad. There's no grief. We don't grieve. We only celebrate. Now, wait a minute. Can Christian stoicism be wrong? Huh? You've always heard this, guys. Big boys don't cry. But Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. I mean, if we're going to take the master at his face value, he, he 
grieved. Now that was Lazarus, his friend. Several times Jesus wept. In fact, Genesis chapter 6 says God grieves. God grieved that he made man. That's when Noah and the flood happened. So he could get the righteousness core back. God grieves. Jesus, it's not that we grieve, it's that we grieve with hope. And so you're holding intention, grieving and hope. And you're bringing the two together. You know, there's a lot of stoicism in our world that's not Christian as well. You know, there's a lot of people today, you hear it all the time. Non-Christians will say, it's just the circle of life. Wasn't it the Lion King? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You die, you become uh, fertilizer and grass, and you know, it's the whole circle of life. No, the Bible doesn't portray death as a friend. The Bible portrays death as the final enemy that Jesus defeats. Okay? When God, when, when God shows us his power, grief takes on a different meaning. Good grief. We have the chance to grieve in a way that is different from all mankind. Let me move this forward. We need to have, and we get from thriving, flourishing through death, it brings us hope for our grief. Hope in the midst of grief. It's natural to grieve. God made us that way. It's part of our God-likeness. Since God grieves, Jesus grieved, we grieve when we lose something, when something is missing, when something is lost, when something is taken. Now, it can be a job. It can be a, a liberty. It can be a, lots of different things. We mainly use it around the loss of a relationship, a loss of a life. Grieving. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says... For I received what I passed on to you, that of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In this case, you see the centrality of Jesus's death. In verse 14, it says, Jesus died And Jesus rose again. It's based on the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Our lack of grieving, like the world who has no hope, is totally based on Jesus and his resurrection. So it's not if or even when you are going to grieve. You're going to grieve. It's a fact of life. But here he's dealing with how you grieve. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. Instead, we understand that there's a resurrection. We understand that there is more than what we see to this life. One uh, lady, in, a Chinese lady, was 
recently lost her son. She was just heart sick. And a pastor was dealing with her, and he, uh, he said, your son will rise again. She said, okay. Well, can we pray for him now? She was wanting an immediate bodily resurrection. He said, uh, I've got a task for you. He said, get me five mustard seeds. Okay, that should be easy. Give me five mustard seeds from a family, from a house that has never experienced sorrow, that has never experienced grief. And the lady said, well, that's all it takes. Then we can pray for resurrection. And he said, yes. So she began going house to house frantically, looking for five mustard seeds and asking each household. It has to be a household that has not experienced sorrow. And obviously, the pastor was getting her in touch with everyone has experienced sorrow. The common experience is grief. The common experience is death. It happens to all, and she couldn't find a house that didn't experience sorrow. And you won't either. I won't either. We will have this to deal with. That's why it's so important for us to keep focused on Jesus, on what he did, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Notice uh, another Corinthian passage. Corinthians 15 is pregnant with this teaching as well. It's so filled with uh, concept for us today. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death. See, death is not a friend. In Jesus' book, it is an enemy. In fact, it was the biggest consequence to the sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve. You will surely die. And death was the enemy that Jesus died, rose again to defeat. It is through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have this. So, you know, the executioner death became and was destroyed by Jesus. We have hope in him instead. You know, uh, I think it was Job. Job lost his whole family, didn't he? Job is talked about as wailing and weeping tearing his clothes, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. If you ever see a picture of somebody that's grieving, it's Job, and and you go, well, was that wrong? No, in fact, he's told that wasn't, you were not in any way wrong. That's natural, that's common, that's grief that we all go through. It is okay to mourn. It is okay to grieve. God made you for that. I've been dealing with um, hospice patients lately, dealing with a lot of people that are experiencing right now death in their life. And, 
you have to give them permission because of our cultural oddities right now to say it's okay. It's okay to even be upset. It's okay to be upset with yourself, even the person who died. You can be upset with God. Do you know God can handle it? Have you read the Psalms? God can handle you looking up to heaven and saying, why? It's okay. That's part of grieving. But we don't want to stay in pain. We don't want to stay angry. We don't want to stay in that condition. That's if we have no hope. But because we've got a relationship with God, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because we understand the resurrection. We understand God's plan and the picture that he gives us of hope. Hope in this world. Another 1 Corinthians 15 passage. And jot this down. So the first one is grief. The second one is hope. Death has been swallowed up. Do you love that imagery? Death has been consumed, swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just love this. It's almost like the Apostle Paul is taunting death. You know? You know, think for a minute. Here's, uh, here's the Apostle saying, Death! <laughs> Where is your victory? And death's over here going, well, I put your Savior on the cross. And Apostle Paul can just say to him, and his death on the cross paid for my and the world, the trusters in him, their, their sin forever. Yeah, but I still put him on the cross and I can kill you. And your fear of death will possess you. And Paul's over here going, what's the worst you can do to me? Kill me and I get to go to be with the Lord? Where, oh, death is your sting? Where, oh, death is your victory? Victory comes through Jesus. In fact, what's it say? Thanks be to God who gives the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, that we would have a, almost a taunting relationship with death. That's, that, that would change our world. We would no longer, as Hebrews 2 says, we would no longer be focused on the fear of death. That's what our culture's focused on right now, the fear of death. We've now had 200 people in Thurston County that have died in the last 20 months. 200 people have died from COVID. I don't know if you think that's a lot or a little bit. Usually we have 100 people a year that die from the flu. So in some ways, but the, the way our culture presents it, fear, fear, fear. It's just like Hebrews says, the fear of death possesses and controls us. And oh, that we would look fear and death in the face and say, where is your victory? Where is your help? Where is your strength? Oh, death, you are defeated. You are a defeated foe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us grief, but it gives us grief with hope. So what? Some of us have gone to heaven. In a way, so what? God would lead some of us to be with him forever now. God doesn't take our hope and take it away. Instead, he moderates our grief. He doesn't eliminate 
our grief. Does that make sense? He moderates our grief and that taunting, acting out the, um, the place that fear should have is zero. He does not desire us to be fearful. Death and Satan want to use fear to control you. And fear of death is his ultimate tool. Therefore, if we eliminate his ultimate tool, guess what happens to us? Joy, peace, the fruit of the spirit. It abounds in our lives. Well, let's take a second thing. Not only do we get hope for our grief, we get urgency for our mission. Well, Pastor Bruce, where are you getting that out of that passage? The no hope part. We don't grieve like those, the rest of mankind. He says, the rest of mankind, not the church. He says, the rest of mankind who have no hope. What? Yeah, folks, the rest of mankind, they don't have hope. That's why we are on a mission. That's why we are urgent in reaching people with the love of Jesus. That's why our slogan is loving people to Christ. Loving people to Jesus. Because without Christ, there is no hope. We want them to have an endless hope, not a hopeless end. Right? That should drive us with passion. That's the reason you're on the planet. That's the main reason you're still here. To help other people who don't have hope to have hope. The only way they're going to know about the love of Christ is if some of us open our mouths. Some of us open our hearts. Some of us win the right to be heard and share the love of Christ. Are you building relationships with those who don't have hope so that you can share hope with them? So tired of this mindset that says, I'm going to go to a place that's more comfortable. I'm just going to check out of this place. I'm going to go to a place that's more comfortable. I hear it all the time. Folks, what if we stay where we're uncomfortable to help bring people hope? The places where we're most uncomfortable are probably the places where there's the least hope. What if we become lights in the darkness? What if we become beacons in the midst of that dark world? God's calling us. And that's the urgency of our mission. How urgent are you? How is God using you? Because we, God wants every person to have hope. See, Jesus mentions hell 70 times. People who don't have hope, who go to a Christless, Godless, hopeless grave. God wants, the Bible says, God desires every person to be saved. Every person. There's not a person that he doesn't want to come to have hope. Oh, that we would catch that. Love people to him. Well, I'm taking too long on all these, but, so, but let's talk about our reason for our confidence. So I'm going to go back to the resurrection for a minute. Verse 14. We believe that God, that, that Jesus died and rose again. And that God will bring him. So this is having to do with the resurrection and the second coming. If the resurrection didn't happen, we couldn't have a second coming. We've got a live, we've got an alive Jesus Christ. And he left 
And in the way he left, he's coming back. He's coming back for us. So the reason for our confidence is based on Jesus died and rose again. That's the central fact of our faith. It's a provable, testable, historic, trusting statement. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the third day. And so because of that, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This is the central underlying truth that brings us hope and confidence. Bible says we're most pitied of all people if there's no such thing as the resurrection. If the resurrection isn't true, we might as well just get off the planet. Forget about it. But the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was, and he's got the victory over death. He's got the keys to hell and the grave in his hands. He is victorious, 1 Corinthians says. And his desire is to be and to, and to let us be with him forever. That's the reason for our confidence. For now we see in a mirror, like a reflection, but then we will see him face to face. Now there's a kind of dark veil between us and the Lord, but he is raised. And there will be a time, the Bible says, when we will be fully known. We'll know him fully and we will be fully known. Don't you think that's the deepest passion and desire of every person's heart? To, to be fully known by God and to be loved anyway. When it comes to people, we let them in at certain levels where we feel comfortable and we think they'll still like us. They'll still love us. But with God, we know that he can know us Totally. And still love us. What's it say? While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. It's not because you're so good. It's not because you're so well deserving. It's in spite of you that he loves you. And oh, that deep yearning, that deep longing that every soul feels, every person has in their hearts that says, I want to be fully known and fully loved. Says, that's, that's a God thing. That's where our confidence is. The resurrected Lord will see us for who we are, know us for what we've done, and love us anyway. Give us his love. You know, was it 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you gotta kind of, Reconcile that with this passage. It's talking about that. What, what happens when we die? What happens when a brother or a sister in Christ dies? What happens when another person, maybe that doesn't have hope, dies? The um, scriptures speak to that. In fact, let me talk about a picture of anticipation. We get this picture through the scriptures, and it shows us 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Is that something to anticipate? The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. What do you think the command's going to be? I I picture it like Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) Rise up. The command of the Lord as he returns and the entire planet sees it simultaneously. (laughs) How's that going to happen? I have no clue, but I'm excited to experience it. Do you want to be part of the ones left behind, so to speak, or the ones coming back with him, so to speak? You have no control over it, but sometimes we have a desire one way or the other. I'd kind of like to be the ones, the the generation that's here. And maybe we've always, maybe for 2,000 years, we've been feeling that as the body. Because we want to see this Christ coming down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. So you got Jesus making a command, the Lord, and you got an archangel making a lot of noise. You know? Just like when they trumpeted uh, Jesus' birth, you know, the first Noel wasn't uh, necessarily quiet. You know, Jesus' second coming is going to be a lot like his first coming. You know, his first coming, they were totally missing it. You know why? They were looking for something else. They were looking for a different kind of coming. They had no clue. They couldn't put the things together that were prophecies. The more they studied them, the more they... How does this fit? He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to come out of Nazareth, and he's going to be in Judea. What? How does this fit? They had no clue. And I think that's the way the second coming is. People have all these charts and graphs, and this happens, and then this happens, and I go, maybe, maybe. But probably we're in the same category. Now... Here's what, uh, what's going to be the same about it is God is going to blow us away. He blew us away with the first coming of Jesus and he'll blow us away with this second coming of Christ. The voice of the archangel and uh, what else? Musical instrument. A trumpet. Da, 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 da. You know? I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be Amazing. It's going to be like one of those shofars. You've seen those ram's horns that they blow, and the entire valley hears. The whole world is going to hear the trumpet call of God that says, Victory is ours! Death has no grip on us. Death is defeated. Jesus is victorious. The trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, okay, so wait a minute. Didn't the scripture say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? So why is it saying the dead in Christ will rise first? These are the people that have already died. Well, maybe that's our Lord. They're coming back with the Lord to get their resurrection bodies. Maybe so. It seems to be what's indicated here. Because didn't Jesus say to the thief on the cross, today, maybe our whole thing about time (laughs) time and space maybe that's only for us here while we're dealing with it god's outside of time and space right 
Why do we try to f- pin him down and, 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 and figure things out in our terms and our ways? It's so much greater. It's so much bigger. It's so much more wonderful than all of that. Christ will come and the dead in Christ will rise. What a picture for our anticipation. Jesus is the one who said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you will be also and you will always be with me. John 14 says, I will take you to be with me. You will always be where I am. Quick definition of hell, of heaven is where Jesus is, where the Lord is. Quick definition of hell, where God is not. Okay? Someone says, I want nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with God. Sometimes you'll send yourself to a place where you have nothing to do with God. Can you imagine a place where there is no love, where there is no joy, where there is no peace, there is no peace? You start listing the characteristics and attributes of God and say nothing of the sort, the opposite, and you've got the picture of hell. You've got a picture of hell. But God says, I want to be with you. I want to be where you are at. The dead in Christ will rise first, so I go to prepare a place for you. Now let's talk about our resurrected bodies for a minute. It's this picture we get of them coming back evidently to receive their resurrected bodies. I tell you, a mystery We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. (laughs) You heard this before. That's the sign that the kids jokingly wrote on the nursery. We will not all be changed, but we'll all be fall asleep. We're not all fall asleep, but we'll all be changed. Yeah. Not funny on this one, is it? In a moment, in the blink of an eye. Can you all just blink your eye real quick? How, How quick is that? Yeah, we're talking about pretty fast here. I think this is why we get the idea that our thought of time and space is illegitimate when it comes to these kind of figures. In the blink of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we, what? Will be changed. The dead in Christ, what's it say? Will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. The body that you have now is not the body you're taking to heaven. It's got to, praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the body you've got now will be changed. Notice that. Underline that. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, the mortal will be changed with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory the thing we're talking about earlier where is your victory oh death where is your sting thanks be to god he gives us the victory through christ so (laughs) jot this down it's not in your notes 
but Philippians 3, Philippians 3.20. This is the one that says our citizenship is in heaven. You know this one. But listen to what it says. Catch this. He will transform, this is a quote, Hebrews 3.20. He will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. I get the picture that our resurrection bodies are going to be much like Jesus's resurrection body. Okay? He says, I will transform your lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working with which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Well, what could Jesus do as a resurrected body? He could cook breakfast. He could walk around. He could eat and drink. He could hug people. He could be recognized, and yet at times he wasn't recognized. He had this amazing body, and it says, you're going to be transformed to the likeness of his glorious body, imperishable. You're buried in a tomb. You're buried in the ground, but you rise up with a victorious victorious body an amazing plan that god has in this uh, anticipated picture for us jesus's raised body would be much like our raised body let me take one more scripture here the body that is sown in is perishable it is raised imperishable it is raised in power it is raised a spiritual body It's going to be different than your current body. We know that. So, what's the sequence? I don't even want to focus on sequences because time shall be no more, (laughs) okay? But here's the thoughts that he's giving us. The dead are with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord's going to return. The dead will come with the Lord, the Bible says. There will be a resurrection of their bodies. Those who are alive, maybe some of us, will join him, the Bible says. We will be caught up in the air to meet him. And we'll come with him as he makes all things new. Think about that for a minute. Sometimes we think of, in fact, this will be the promise of our eternity be our next thought here he says after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord where in the air this is where the idea comes from in fact jot this down of rapture Donnie, you were talking about the exhaustive concordance. This comes from the Latin phrase for caught up. In this verse, we'll be caught up together with them. That idea of caught up is the word rapture in uh, the Latin interpretation or translation. He says, you'll be caught up in the air, so we will be with the Lord, what? Forever. Focus on that for a minute. The forever aspect of the resurrection. 
We're going to meet the Lord. We're going to meet other believers. We're going to meet those that have gone ahead of us in the air that we could be always with the Lord, that we could be with him forever. That caught up of the rapture. You know, it's like a dignitary or somebody that's coming to a country and you know they're coming and so you go to meet them at the airport to bring them, to usher them in. That's the idea. Jesus is returning to victoriously reign. And as he reigns, we meet him in the air, but where's he coming to? He's on his way here. Sometimes we think we get just off into heaven. Well, it sounds like, well, in fact, let me bring in Revelation 21 right at this point. Listen to what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Doesn't the sea make up three quarters of the earth's area? There was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Coming down out of heaven from God. Same language, same terms. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The wedding picture. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. Didn't we just talk about good grief? It's a temporary state. At that point, there will be no more mourning, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things will have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new, everything new. Behold, I make all things new. New As this holy city descends out of heaven, as heaven joins to meet the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth. Finally, life as it was meant to be. Not in a garden like the Adam and Eve. Now there's hundreds of thousands of people. It's a holy city. Not a lonely garden with two people. It is multiplied and we are the prize of God. We are the ones that get to dwell with God and he will be our God and we will be his people. And the consequences of sin that entered the garden are no more. Life as it was supposed to be. Life as it was meant to be. Life like you and I were created for. That's the new heaven. That's the new earth. And it's in close fellowship with the heavenly father forever. Our dwelling, God's dwelling is with men. No longer the glass darkly, no longer the in a mirror dimly. Now it's face to face, heart to heart, just like God planned. You get back, you'll have all the things that you've been longing for and yearning for. He says, finally, this is the aspect. This is the place. This is the... Um, the fulfillment of all of that. So he ends this by saying, make this message your encouragement to each other. Notice he doesn't say, 
I'm encouraging you. He says, encourage one another with these words. <laughs> okay? You would think he would say, well, I've just encouraged you. I've told you all the truth. He's saying, no, 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 no. Let it be the buzz among you. Let it be your buzzwords. Let it be what you speak to each other. Maybe be what you sing about as the team gets us led in prayer and worship. What's what you pray about? The second coming of Christ should be on our hearts as we pray and as we talk. It should be in our conversations. It should be in our text messages. It should be in our social media. It should be everywhere we're at. We're to encourage one another with these words. The Lord's coming back. Jesus is victorious. If we, if we focused more on the encouragement that comes from this kind of passage, oh, folks, we'd be living our lives differently during this pandemic. We would not be cowering in the corners, fearful and dreadful. We'd be marching to the Lord's drum, answering his trumpet call and saying, I'm ready for that right now. Lord, let's go. We should be saying to death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The power of death has no victory when it comes to the victory of Christ. Let's bow in prayer. In fact, would you stand with me? We'll close off our time. When I was growing up, before I, before I pray, I just want to mention this. When I was growing up, I used to hear people say, if the Lord tarries, yes. you know, yes. if the Lord holds back, if the Lord waits. And what if we have, if the Lord, I don't know tarries isn't a word we use anymore. But if the Lord doesn't come back, I'll do this, or we'll do that, or we'll engage in this. What, what if this week we conscientiously, verbally bring back that idea of if the Lord tarries, if the Lord waits. Heavenly Father, would you cause us to be the people of God in such a way we excitedly, expectantly, victoriously come into your throne with such an expectation that fear trepidation, anxiety, just dissipate. And instead, excitement, joy, eagerness takes over. Lord, would you help us be urgent as we help others love you? Would you help us be expectant as we seek you every day? Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Instead, we know you give us an endless In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.